Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I am your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay with me. It'll be a time of motivation, inspiration, education, always done without any type of manipulation. That means we're, we're not trying to con you. We're not trying to hustle you. We're not trying to get you to give us any money. We're not trying to get you to join anything. The only thing <clears throat> that this show is, is predicated on is teaching the Word of God free, giving you divine viewpoint perspective. Uh, trying to verify and identify God's plan for your life so that if you want to do something about it, you can orient and adjust to the plan. But uh, I'm not a pastor. I'm simply an evangelist who has a radio show, but I can open a window for you. I can give you some insight. I can give you some choices, and then you can talk to your pastor. You can get in touch with him and ask him questions and Hopefully get under the authority of a well-qualified pastor that will shepherd you and teach you and feed you God's Word. That's the way the program works. But we have a show called The Flotline. If you've been listening to it, we're new in your area. Flot stands for Forward Line of Troops. And we're using a military metaphor here, much like Paul did when he talked about put on the armor of God and he, and he highlighted a Roman soldier. In Ephesians 6, well, this is a military analogy, and flot, forward line of troops is a main line of resistance that the military will establish in a combat arena. The objective is to keep the enemy outside of that main line of resistance. Well, I want you to understand that the Word of God teaches you can establish a main line of resistance in your soul made up of 10 unique problem-solving devices. And if you learn these 10 unique problem-solving devices, you can stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever become the inside sources of stress. Because, I mean, let's face it, adversity is inevitable, but stress is optional. Because adversity may be what circumstances and situations do to you, but stress is what you do to yourself. So uh, these 10 problem-solving devices are not some great new discovery that I've made. These are age-old biblical doctrines that have always been there. You've probably heard them taught in your own church. I may say I'm a little bit of a different way, but they're the same thing. Somebody once told me, said, you didn't teach me anything I didn't know already, but you put it in a way I've never heard it put before. And uh, that's a good thing because that makes you think. That helps you to understand, comprehend, diagnose what we're saying. Now, we've been through problem-solving devices 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. If you missed them, we have a book available free of charge and never charge you a dime for anything from our ministry. It's called Christian Problem Solving. All you have to do is write to us through the website. That's rickhughesministries.org. And if you write to us through the website, we'll be glad to send you the book free of charge and won't send you anything else, nothing that you don't request. But this book will list all 10 of them for you. It's a small booklet, just nothing fancy, but it'll help you grasp the concept of learning these 10 problem-solving devices, beginning with Rebound how to solve the problem of sin, moving to the filling of the Holy Spirit, how to solve the problem of your genetically formed old sin nature, moving to the faith rest drill, how to solve the problem of unseen and unforetold circumstances in your life, moving to biblical orientation, moving to grace orientation, 
And then uh, finally, to a personal sense of destiny. And this is where you begin to understand God's plan for your life, and you walk through the door, you leave your agenda behind, and now you're on God's agenda. Well, now we want to talk about something called virtue. Virtue, integrity. Virtue, love. The most amazing thing taught in the Bible is virtue, love, motivation. And that's personal love for God. Personal love for God is a problem-solving device. Now, there are several words for love in the Bible, uh, and they all translate into English, love, L-O-V-E. Without a pastor to tell you which love it is, you might get confused. But it could be agapao, it could be uh, phileo, it could be stokeo, and it could be arao. These are four different types of love. And so we have to understand what the Bible means when it's talking about love. Because you don't want to get involved in arao love. That's the English word erotic. And uh, we're talking about agapao love or total soul love for God the Father. A phileo love, which is love for the brethren. Philadelphia, we get from phileo. So this is the deal. In 1 Peter 1.8, here's what Peter wrote. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So can I ask you a, a, a good question? Do you love God? I am sure that if I ask that question in your church, that everybody in there would raise their hand and they would say, yes, I love God. Well, there's a test you can give yourself to find out if you do love God. And I'll show you that in a minute. Because a lot of people say they love God, uh, but they really don't. They love what God provides. Uh, they love what they love. But as far as loving God, as far as having virtue love for God, well, not quite. Jesus said in John twenty twenty nine, he said this to Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, and yet they have believed. And remember what Peter wrote? Whom having not seen you love. How do you love a God you've never seen? That's the question. You have never seen him. You've never seen Jesus, if you have. If you've seen Jesus, you might need to talk to a doctor, okay? Because our Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, awaiting the shouted order to come back and get us. If he came back and I'm still here and you're still here, we're in trouble. Because he's not going to do that until the Father tells him at the exit resurrection. So if you've seen Jesus, you might have been doing something you shouldn't have done. But having not seen him, you can love him. Is it possible to love him even though you haven't seen him? And the answer is yes. You can love a God whom you have never seen. That is possible. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 38, Jesus was answering a question asked to him by a lawyer. And it was simply a leading question. And this is what Jesus said to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first mandate. 
And that mandate comes out of Deuteronomy 6.5. These words I command you, Deuteronomy 6.5, they shall be in your heart. Teach them with diligence to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house. Talk of them when you walk. Talk of them when you lie down. And when you are up. I mean, do you think the word of God might be important? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. That word love in the Greek New Testament is in what we call the imperative mood. In other words, the imperative mood is a mood of command. This is a command from Jesus Christ. You shall love God. It's not asking you, it's telling you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Your heart and your soul and your mind. You know, you have a soul and your soul is made up of mentality. It's made up of volition. It's made up of consciousness and even self-consciousness which means you have the ability to think, logic, reason, comprehend. You have the ability to choose, decide, and make a choice or a decision. Uh, you have a conscience, which is made up of your norms and standards that were taught to you when you were young, and hopefully your parents taught you good norms, how to brush your teeth, comb your hair, keep clean, and your pastor gives you good standards, standards from the Bible, like the Ten Commandments. You learn these things. These norms and standards are designed to guard you, to be the guardian of your soul. So that if you violate these norms and standards that you learn from a young child, from that time on, then the red alert alarm goes off in your soul telling you you're doing something wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And you see, that's why this verse says in Deuteronomy 6, teach them with diligence to your children. That's the objective of any parent, to set up the red alert system in the soul of their child by teaching them biblical standards. So how do you do it? Well, you talk of them when you sit in your house. In other words, if your child is there, you can say, uh, Johnny, or like my grandson Kai, K-A-I, I'll ask him a question. Do you know what the Bible says about this, or do you know this Bible verse? all the time talking about the Bible when my grandchildren come to visit my house, all the time giving them scripture. Talk of them when you walk. In other words, if you and your wife or you and your grandchildren talk, taking a walk or you and your children are taking a walk, talk about the scripture. Talk about them when you lie down. Talk about them when you rise up. The last thing that should be in your mind when you go to bed at night is the promise of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And when you get up in the morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is good to those who trust in him. There it is, every day. That's why the word of God is important. You can't love a God you don't know. And if you don't know his word, you don't know him. If I gave you a test and I said, how well do you actually know God? See, God is eminent and transcendent. First of all, you have to understand that he's not just in your church. Some people say we had a great service today and God visited us today. Listen, God can be, because he's omnipresent, he can be in your town and in my town at the same time. He's not confined to one location. He's imminent and transcendent. 
And so I can't get any more of him, and I can't get any less of him. I have all of him all the time. He's God. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-smart. He knows everything from eternity past to eternity future. He knew me before I was even created in my mother's womb. He knew me. He knew who I would be and what I would do, and he programmed a plan for my life in eternity past. And that plan began with me believing in Jesus Christ. This is what you have to teach your children. If you love God, you will teach them God's word. If you don't love God, you'll throw them in a car and haul them to church and go through the ritual without any reality to it. You know, church can become a ritual without any reality to it. Just because you show up on Sunday morning and put on a nice coat and tie or a nice dress or clean the chillings up and take them to church, it doesn't mean you love God. It's very possible that you get into the habit of becoming a conventional Christian who wants a preacher to marry him and a preacher to bury him, but the rest of the time, don't bug me, I'm busy. You really love God? Well, here is the way you tell the test. You want to hear the test? This will tell you if you love God or not. In 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God. Here it is. Now listen carefully. This is the love of God, that we keep his mandates, and his mandates are not hard. So the way you know you love God is if you obey God. So let's take your volition part of the format of your soul. God gave you a volition. Your volition can go negative and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or your volition can go positive and say, yes, I will do that. If you love God, you will obey God because his mandates are not a burden. He's not going to ask you to do something that you cannot do. Jesus Christ, our Lord, said in Matthew, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And then he said these words, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not like God's going to ask you to do something you're not equipped to do. It's not like God's going to ask you to do something you cannot possibly do. But the real bottom line is, do you obey him? Your volition is the key. And so, for example, when the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, do you study God's word consistently on a daily basis? I'm not talking about just going to church on Sunday and reading your Sunday school lesson. That's not growing up. I mean, if I sent my child to the first grade for an hour and a half a week, they'd never get out of the first grade. It takes daily inculcation of God's word under the filling of the Holy Spirit for you or me or anybody else to grow up. This is one reason that I always encourage pastors to teach more. You know, they get under such a burden to visit and care for people, and people have such unreal expectations of what a pastor should be. I believe what a pastor should be is a man who studies and teaches God's word to his congregation. As he studies and teaches God's word, if he's got a million-dollar building down there, then hopefully he can teach more than a couple of times a week. Uh, I would love to see pastors teach four or five times a week. 
And somebody says, well, I couldn't go to church that much. Well, how much do you watch TV? Do you come in at night and plop down in front of the TV and turn it on after you eat dinner and sit there a couple of hours? Listen, if you love God, you will love his word. And if you love his word, you will never be able to get enough of it. And I tell you what, any pastor that's willing to teach God's word, God will provide the hearers. He will provide those that want to learn it. So the love of God is that you keep his mandates and they are not hard. The Lord Jesus Christ had an issue with the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation. The issue was their production and their love. And he talks about that in Revelation 2.2. He said, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience and you can't stand evil. That you test the prophets then you have perceived and you have patience and you haven't become weary. But something was missing. Something was missing. Their, their faith had become so technical and not personal. And so the missing part was the missing love. They had lost their first love. Revelation 2.5. You left your first love. Love for God is the motivation of why you do what you do. If you don't have personal love for God, you're not going to obey God. If you don't have personal love for God, you're going to find it easy to cheat on your spouse. If you don't have personal love for God, you're going to find it easy to cheat on your taxes. If you don't have personal love for God, you're going to find it easy to ignore his word when it comes down to making critical decisions. Paul wrote these words in 1 Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. He wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he said, I hear of your faith and your love for all of the saints, and I keep praying for you. And in Philippians 1.9, he said, I pray that your love may abound more and more. You see, love is like a river. Love has direction. Love has flow. I live near a river, and the, and the river has current, and the current flows. Love is like that. Well, my river has banks, a bank on one side and a bank on the other side. If the current gets out of the banks, it causes a flood, and it becomes destructive. Well, here's what Paul said. Listen, I pray your love may abound, Philippians 1, 9, more and more in knowledge and discernment. And here's the banks, knowledge and discernment. So as you learn God's word, you gather knowledge or wisdom. And once you have wisdom, you have discernment. So love for God gives you the knowledge to understand and discern what you should do in any situation. Because if you love God, then first of all, you will obey God. And secondly, the only way you can obey God is to know what God demands of you. And you can't know what he demands of you if you don't know what's in his word. So once you learn the word of God and develop some knowledge of the word of God called wisdom, then you have this incredible discernment. Now, when there's too much love, and this is emotional, once you get so emotional running around saying, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love God, if that love is so emotional it gets out of the banks, then it becomes destructive. 
And this is not the way God intended for it to be. It's not an emotional thing where you get high on Jesus. This is the content of your soul predicated upon the word of God that you know, understand, believe, and live by in your life every day. So I want your love to abound more and more, Paul said in Philippians 1.9, in knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be pure and undefiled without offense till the day Christ returns. Now, how would you recognize a believer like this? How would you recognize someone whose love abounds in discernment and in knowledge? Well, number one, they, they would be obedient. They would obey God. And, uh, you know, don't get caught in the trap of saying, if you don't tithe, you don't love God. I mean, I've seen this happen before sometime. If you love God, you'll turn over your bank account to him. God loves a well-motivated giver. That's true. And the objective of any believer is to support the ministry of his church and the local missions or whatever missions he may choose to support, but not grudgingly nor of necessity, the Bible says. So don't let somebody lay a guilt trip on you and say you don't love God because you don't tithe. That's not true. If you want to be obedient, there's a lot of things. And the first thing is walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So being obedient to confess your sins to God on a daily moment-by-moment basis, being obedient to stay filled with the Spirit, being obedient to develop your faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, being obedient to grow up and replicate the life of Christ in you. That's what it boils down to, not you getting emotional and crying and foaming at the mouth and that's, you know, that may be fine, but that's not what this is. If you really love God, you will be respectful and very cautious at the same time. Hebrews 12, 27, 28 speaks of that. You will not be controlled by your emotions. If you love God, you're not going to be too mechanical and you're not going to be too legalistic. That means that you would lose your spontaneity, something that, that you don't do freely or naturally without external force or cause. So there must be that, that spontaneous response to God's word in your soul. That was the problem at Ephesus, too mechanical, too legalistic. You know, like I only pray at a certain time of the day, I only give in a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. Worship is not done only one way. Worship is done through the teaching of God's word and the application of what you hear. That's what true worship is. It's not that you come in there and, 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 and you have some music and that's fine, special music, choir music, whatever. The real worship is the respectful teaching of the word of God. And it is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Anything that can transform and change your life in an instant is unbelievable, and that's the Word of God. It can change you. So what happens is this church at Ephesus had lost its reciprocal love motivation. Reciprocal love says, 1 John four nineteen, we love God because he first loved us. I mean, come on, did he love you first? Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved you first. And 
And your job is to love him back with reciprocal love motivation. 1 John 3.18, my little children, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so, I mean, you can say you love God all you want, but if you don't obey him and you don't fulfill the mandates, you don't really love God. 1 John 3.23, this is a mandate that we believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us the mandate. Matthew 22.39, love your neighbor as you love yourself. <laughs> That's a different type of love. You love God, and there are people in your church you hate, you love God, and there are people in your community you can't stand. The Bible says if we say we love God and hate our brother, we're a liar, and the truth is not in us. Listen, does God love everybody in your city? He does. Should you love everybody in your city? You should. But I'm not God, you say. That's right. He's loving you with personal love because you're part of the royal family, but he loved you with impersonal love before you got saved because that was based on his essence and his character, not yours. This is the same type of love you're going to have to use with others. And I'll explain how impersonal love is a problem-solving device. Love is a problem-solving device. Do you love God? You say, yes, I do. Are you obedient? You say, uh, sometimes. <laughs> Listen, there's no sometimes here. Either you're going to obey God, and you're going to learn his word, you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to replicate the life of Christ, you know, fulfill those mandates, or you're going to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and you're going to trot off down the My Way Highway, and you're going to guarantee yourself a life of discipline and misery as you get sucked into the cosmic vortex that's always out there spinning around. It's called the lure of the world. And you'll be sucked into that thinking that money will make you happy, that success will make you happy, that circumstances will make you happy, that people can make you happy. There's only one thing that will make you happy. Jesus Christ said it this way, happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. You have heard the word of God today. Will you keep it? Do you love God? Really? I hope you'll think about that. I hope you consider that. And I hope you'll come back next week, same time, same place. Because I enjoy teaching you this, and I think you are learning something. Write to me if you'd like. I'll be glad to hear from you. And until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.